Somebody grab that door shut there. Thank you. When we torture the children, we don't want you to hear the cries of the children. You see? There you go. Um, Hey, I want you to fill in this blank for me. Okay? So, shout it out. It's better to... Than to... Okay. That was easy, wasn't it? I mean, that, that phrase just kind of is burned into our conscience as Americans. That's a sentiment that's ingrained in our culture. We are a nation of givers. And generally, we love how it feels to give to others. And I read a study this week that, um, in this particular study, it said that the United States was the second most generous nation in the world. With 61% of Americans saying that in the last year that they had extended hospitality to a stranger or served, uh, given some volunteer time, or they had donated to charity in the last year, 61% of Americans. And while that is awesome, the flip side of that, um, unfortunately, is also true, is that as Americans, we are in general really uncomfortable receiving from other people. Um, whether that be service or gifts or compliments or affection, because we have this self-reliant storyline. As Americans, it's also been ingrained into us that we don't really need other people's help, and it makes many of us uncomfortable at times when we're on the receiving end of generosity. Anybody willing to admit that they have a hard time receiving from others sometimes? Yes. The rest of you lie. As I was reading through the Gospels, and I was trying to pay attention to the ways in which Jesus um, lived and operated as we were thinking through this sermon series, I came across this story um, of Jesus receiving from someone, and I thought, oh man, that'd be a really interesting message to talk about. So we're going to talk about that story a little bit later, Um, but first I want to ask you, um, I want you to look at how we view our salvation. So let me ask you this question. What happened when you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? What became true about you? And we're going to put these up on the screen here and just kind of keep a list of of your responses. So what happened when you received Christ as Lord and Savior? What became true about you? This is not difficult, so here we go. Yes, get the ball rolling. You didn't even raise your hand, but I'm like, please help me. Okay, so you're cleansed from your sin? Yeah, what else? Okay, you were adopted into God's family? What else? Yes, Devin. Created new. Okay. You were loved unconditionally? All right, that's something new. Yes. Okay, didn't have to be afraid anymore. What's that? Had purpose. Excellent. Now we're getting somewhere. What else? There's still more that's true about you, whether you know it or not. You're cherished? Yeah. You have what? You have freedom? Okay. Okay, we're co-heirs to the kingdom with Jesus? Yes. We were given eternal life, right? There's another one. Yes. 
We have a responsibility to share that with others. Is that, yeah. We have responsibility to reciprocate that grace, okay, or whatever. All right. We could probably, if we really thought hard, I know it's Sunday morning, you're thinking caps off, but yes, we could probably make a long list, okay? Just leave those up there for a second. In Christian circles, I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years. Um, I've heard the phrase many times, people will say that they've received Christ, okay? And they say, you know, I received Christ at Young Life Camp, or at church camp, or at this church event, or... um, in my bedroom, at my house, on my knees, or my living room, or wherever that event took place. But they say it like it was a one-time event. And, and very rarely do I hear people talk about that idea of receiving Christ being uh, a day-by-day, kind of moment-by-moment thing. It's almost like some people have this unspoken perspective that, yeah, one time in my life I really realized my need for a Savior and so I humbled myself and, and invited Jesus to come and forgive my sins. But, but now that my eternal salvation is kind of taken care of, well, then now my job is just to go and tell other people about that love. And, and, and really people see themselves, some people do, as just a giver. Now I'm just a giver of what I've received that one time. Okay? I read a quote. Um, hang on, I'm way off. <laughs> That's not what I should be saying next. Okay, what I should be saying is this, is that Jesus really challenged that notion. Because the disciples came to him at one point and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus gave them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And as a part of that prayer, you know, in that prayer he says, give us this day, every day, our daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. In other words, we are all to be in the posture of receiving every day from God, humbly coming before him and acknowledging our need for Christ, our need for patience and grace and love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and joy and hope, because daily our hearts are deceitful. Daily our lives are broken and in need of all that Christ offers. And I read a quote this week that said this. You can put it up there. If we don't see ourselves as needy, the gift of the gospel won't be a treasure to us. So why is the secret to receiving from God and others so tied to our realization of our need? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.33 Jesus said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are the humble ones, the ones who continually realize they are in a continual need of all God provides, and that they're able to receive that from him on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. Blessed are those people. Because if anyone could claim self-sufficiency, it would be God. Right? The creator of the universe is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from us. But knowing that, he still receives from us daily. 
This morning, he's receiving our worship, receiving our praise, receiving the, the money that we're, we're giving from the ways that he's blessed us. He receives from us constantly this person that doesn't need anything. But how did Jesus model receiving? Well, I want to get now to the story that I mentioned earlier. You can find it in Luke chapter 7 if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to that today. Luke chapter 7 is page 721. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 36. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating, which is so funny that phrase is put in there. (laughs) Everybody lives a sinful life, but anyways, who am I? Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So first off, we notice that Jesus is accepting a dinner invitation from a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a religious leader, um, very strict in his supposed obedience to Scripture, and a lot of those folks were opponents of Christ. They didn't like the way in which he was presenting the gospel. And so Jesus is showing a lot of, of um, hospita- hospitality and just receiving the invitation to be there to begin with. It probably wasn't the most comfortable conversation, okay? So I'm sure that as uncomfortable as that was, I'm sure he was a little surprised with what happened next. I mean, can you imagine how awkward that must have been for Jesus? Right? You're in this guy's home who is a theologian and a scholar, intellectual. You're probably having some pretty deep conversation about some things maybe you've taught and some questions they might have. And you're engaged in this conversation when all of a sudden this uninvited woman who people assume and maybe know that she's just lived this sinful life, whatever that might mean, comes into that meeting, and while you're just having this conversation, she starts to cry on your feet and wipe those tears with her hair and kiss your feet and pour perfume on your feet. How awkward would that have been? Can you imagine if I was here giving a sermon on one Sunday morning, and right in the middle of my sermon, somebody gets up and comes down the middle aisle And takes off my shoes and begins weeping on my feet and kissing my feet and giving me a pedicure right here in front of all of you. That would be weird, right? And I would hope that there would be some ushers in the back. John Kelliker would be hauling this woman out, right? Be like, this person's got something wrong in their head, right? That would be strange. And, and, And where would all the attention in this room be? on this woman, like, what are you doing? So this is a scene, all right? And how does Jesus react? This is what's crazy. Because he doesn't stop her. He doesn't redirect her. He doesn't offer her some other alternative, like, hey, this is weird. 
how about we do this at a later time in a different place? Or better yet, how about you go home and write me a card or maybe get me a gift certificate to Chipotle and we'll call it good, right? That's what I would do. (laughs) But he doesn't do that, does he? He just lets her love him in the way that she decided to do it. In the way that she decided to do it. He graciously receives her affection because she knows how, he knows how important it is for her to express that gratitude to him. And on top of that, I know it really bothers Jesus when people are unwilling to receive from him. There's a famous story you guys are all aware of right before Jesus' arrest and his execution when he's got his disciples together for the last time, right? And there's a scene where he goes around and he starts washing their feet, showing them what it means to be a servant leader, right? And he gets around to Peter, and Peter's like, no, man, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. So what do you think's going on in that scene? What do you think's going on in Peter's mind? Like, why does he say what he says? And then why does Jesus respond the way that he responds to him? Give me some insight on what you think might be going on there. Phil? Yeah. To have to what? To demean himself. Okay. Okay. That isn't the right. That's not what I expect from Okay. Yeah, so he's looking at Jesus thinking, I know who you are, you're God, and why, I don't want you to have to lower yourself to, to wash my feet. I mean, I'm just, who am I, right? Okay. Other thoughts? Yeah. Okay, yeah, if you can't receive this act of me washing your feet, how are you going to receive anything else? That's maybe Jesus is why Jesus responds the way he does, okay? Yeah, because as much as this doesn't make sense, wait until you get the rest of the story and how hard that's going to be, right, to receive. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, okay, he's seen lots of desperate, needy people come to Jesus and Jesus heal them in some way. And so he's thinking, well, like, I mean, I'm not really that bad. Like, I'm not in that great a need. Like, don't waste your time. You know, there are better things we could be doing besides you washing my feet right now. Okay, yeah. Any other thoughts on why Jesus says what he says? If If I can't wash you, you have no part in me. Yeah, Justin. Okay, yeah. I, I, like, I'm the only one that can do this for you. I'm the only one that can make you clean. You, you can't go through life thinking that you can clean yourself up. Okay? So, good. Good, good insights, folks. All right? It's a struggle to receive sometimes. <laughs> 
I, I read a story this past week that they, they had two groups of people, not just really just one group doing two different things. Okay, so they monitored their brain activity when they were givers and then when they were receivers. And then guess what the study showed? The study showed that when you give, that there are um, an increased um, deployment of hormones, dopamine and oxytocin in our brain that happen when we give, that, that don't happen when we receive. So it literally, physiologically, feels good to give. And in fact, our bodies are hardwired. They're created for us to give. Okay, that's our nature. And then on top of that, we have all these scriptures about how more blessed we are to give than to receive and that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so we've even got scripture working against us, right? But when you think about it, a lot is implied in those commands to give in scripture. One of those things that's implied is that there is going to be a receiver. There has to be, right? Or else it's not really a gift. You can't give a gift to nothing or no one. You have to give it to something or someone, and they have to receive it, right? So that's an important thing to remember. And the big question that we all need to wrestle with today, and it's probably a bigger issue with some of us here maybe than others, is this, is that why do I struggle and resist receiving? Why do I allow it to become so awkward when somebody tries to serve me? or to give something to me, or to praise me in some way? Why do I deflect that praise? Why do I say no when somebody offers to help when I really need the help, but I won't take it, right? You ever see those people that are carrying a million things? Hey, can I help you? No, I'm good. You know, they're opening the car door with their foot, you know, and it's just like, oh my God, just let me help you open the door, you know? And we rob others of the joy of giving to us and then maybe more importantly is, is what does it say about how we view our need of God? What does it say about how we view our need of God? I read an article this past week entitled, Five Reasons Why Receiving is Harder Than Giving. And we're going to put these up on the screen here in a second, one at a time. What I'd like you to do is get your, your notes out and a pen and I'd like you just to write down, it, it's going to have the statement and then some descriptors, so you can just write the statement. I want you to see kind of which of these five, or maybe it might be multiple ones, kind of hit home with you. When you think about why it is that I'm, I have a hard time receiving sometimes, which of these kind of connects with you, okay? So Todd, we'll put those up one at a time. The first possible reason is that it's a defense against intimacy. Receiving creates a moment of connection, Prioritizing giving over receiving may be a convenient way to keep people distant and our hearts defended. To the extent that we fear intimacy, we may disallow ourselves from receiving a gift or compliment, thereby depriving ourselves of a precious moment of connection. So if that one's true about you in some level, maybe write that one down. Secondly, letting go of control. When we give, we're in control in a certain way. It might be easy to offer a kind word or buy someone flowers, but can we allow ourselves to surrender to the good feeling of receiving a gift? And to what extent does our giving come from an open, generous heart versus bolstering our self-image of being a kind and caring person? Okay, so receiving 
is, is an act of letting go of control, right? Because Jesus couldn't control the way in which this woman brought the gift. <laughs> he had to let go of that desire for it to look a certain way or feel a certain way. Number three, fear of strings attached. We may be uncomfortable receiving if it came with strings attached when growing up. We may have received compliments only when we accomplished something, like winning at sports or achieving good grades. If we sense that we weren't being accepted for who we are, but rather for our achievements and accomplishments, we may not feel safe to receive. If parents narcissistically used us to meet their own needs, such as to showcase us to their friends or cling to an image of being good parents, we may equate compliments to being used. We were recognized for what we do rather than for who we really are. Number four, we believe it is selfish to receive. Our religion may have taught us that we're selfish if we receive. Life is more about suffering than being happy. It's better to be self-effacing, not take up too much space or smile too broadly lest we bring too much attention to ourselves. As a result of this conditioning, we might feel shame to receive. And then finally, number five, a self-imposed pressure to reciprocate. Blocks to receiving may reflect protection from being in someone's debt. We may suspect their motives, wondering, what do they want from me? Presuming that compliments or gifts are attempts to control or manipulate us, we preemptively defend ourselves from any sense of obligation or indebtedness. That's one of the ones that drives me the most nuts. Is when I'm around other people who like can't receive something because they think, oh, then I've got to give them the same gift back, you know, and it's got to cost the same amount, you know. It's just like, what are you talking about? Like, anyways, that's just not one I struggle with. (laughs) I struggle with others. So maybe you connected with one or more of these as we ponder why it is we struggle to receive from others. And by the way, all of these things are valid. Um, a lot of them are kind of deep-seated ways of viewing life and the world and people. A lot of those are encompassed in wounds that we might not be aware of in our life, probably ways that we can't even articulate why we struggle with that so much. But it's certainly worth asking the question, why am I feeling this emotion when people try to serve me or give me a gift or compliment me or affirm me, why do I feel the emotions that I feel, whatever awkward or uneasy emotions those are? And to ask God, what's going on? Let's put those five up there. Good. Anybody? Anybody vulnerable enough, willing enough to to say, yeah, man, I connected with this one. And you don't have to go into a lot of detail. You can say why, but any of those that really hit home with you, like, yeah, that probably hurts my receiving. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there's these kind of Christian phrases that sound really good that we think we're supposed to say, like when somebody compliments, oh, well, you know, it's just Jesus living through me, right? That's really kind of a, I mean, there's some truth to it, obviously, but it really kind of robs the giver of of the the joy of you receiving that compliment. Like, even though, yeah, it's God working through you, you still had to choose to do the right thing. (laughs) So it still boiled down to you being obedient to God, which then... Yeah, it gives you something you can give glory to him too, but you could have missed the opportunity, right? You could have not served or done that nice thing, and yeah, so that's a great example. What else, Brad? All five? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Where do you think some of that, that broken way of thinking comes from? Can you pinpoint anything in your life where it's like that you acquired that or did you just come by it honestly <laughs> or dishonestly? <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Brad's got a loud voice. I won't repeat all that. Hopefully, you heard a lot of that. Devin. Yeah. I would echo what Brad said, but for me, I think it all roots down to letting go of control. I mean, they all kind of feed off of it, but the root one is the control okay. issue. Yeah. It's been like, I don't, I don't have control over it now. Yeah. The letting go of control thing is, is a big one, right? And, and, you know, a great example of this, um, you know, we were uh, doing Peyton Howitt's, uh, I don't know if she's here today, her signing ceremony for college. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of emceeing the event, and we took some time just to, to verbally affirm her. And that's a, that's, that can be a really awkward thing, you know what I mean? If I called some of you up here right now in front of the church and said, hey, let's just say kind things about this person, you know, some of you would be like, oh my gosh, you know, crawl under there. Even if what was saying was true, was genuine, was things that you had really done, and man, we, we really struggle at times with that, right? And as we look at Jesus, he was clearly able to receive in some of the most awkward of circumstances, Right? And he knows how much it means for us to be able to express our gratitude for all that he's done for us. And I think, you know, as we've identified some things up here today, I think it's important to know that in order to begin to be a good receiver, we don't have to figure out completely why it is that we struggle. Okay, so this is not a a journey that we have to come to resolution on completely. I think we do need to ask God some questions to see what he might reveal. And we, it might reveal something like a prideful spirit or all kinds of life experiences or old wounds that kind of get in the way of us being able to receive 
from others. And remember, I think in this process too, is that we're even fighting our own chemistry and our body to be joyful receivers. So instead of trying to figure it all out, my, my, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you would be to fight through the awkwardness, to, to be able to communicate to those trying to give to you how much you appreciate that and how important it is for them to bless you, to let go of some of the control as you're on this journey of kind of figuring out why do I respond the way I do. And this past week, I saw what I thought was a really great example of somebody here in Wellspring that handled this well. And somebody in our church, they had, I had noticed an interaction that they had with someone. And I knew that that interaction um, required some humility on their part, that it wasn't easy. And, uh, and so this past week, I was driving around town and, and went by their, their office. I was like, I'm just going to go in and, and tell this guy what I saw. So I went in and just said, hey, man, I just want you to know. Um, I noticed the way you interacted with that guy, and I know that that wasn't easy for you. And I just want you to know I'm really proud of, of how you did that. And it meant a lot to me to, to see that happen. And he just, he just handled it so beautifully. And, and he thanked me for noticing. Later that day, he sent me a text, and he said, Hey, man, thanks for coming by. And, and what you said to me really meant a lot to me. And what that did was it allowed me, as the giver, to really kind of feel that sense of, Oh, man, I was able to encourage somebody. You know, he didn't deflect the praise. He didn't give the, Oh, well, it was just God, you know. Give him the glory. He didn't make like it wasn't a big deal when it really was. It was cool. (laughs) And I want you to think of something this way. We can put this question up here. What do we have in Christ that has not been given to us by another? What do we have in Christ that has not been given to us by another? Right, all those things that we listed before Uh, those attributes of things that God bestows on us, a lot of times he uses other people to be the carriers of those things, right? The carriers of grace, of love, of forgiveness, of compassion. He chooses to manifest those things through other people and dispense those blessings to us. And sometimes we're the givers of those things and sometimes we're the receivers of those things. But we can only give away what we've received ourselves. So the extent to which we've received God's forgiveness and grace and love and mercy and compassion and all those things is going to be the extent to which we can give those things away to others. If we haven't allowed God to forgive us much, we won't forgive others much. If we haven't allowed God to love us much, we won't love others much. That makes sense? The better receiver we are, the better, more humble giver we'll be. And the road to being a great receiver begins with humbly coming before God every day and saying, Give me this day your daily bread. And then receiving that provision as a person in need who recognizes 
their brokenness and the deceitfulness of their heart and saying, God, I need you today. And then looking for opportunities to be givers of those things throughout the day while also being open to the people that God might might send to you to receive something from him, letting go of control of the way in which they do it or how uncomfortable that makes you so that you can be blessed in the way that God wants you to be blessed through that. This morning, as we engage in communion, we're going to do something we've done just one other time. We're going to have every person that comes through the communion line be a giver and a receiver. And so as you come up to give, get, get communion today and receive it, I want you then to take the place of the giver, and then you'll give communion to the next person that comes. Okay? And if you don't want to do that, don't come forward. <laughs> just stay in your seat. All right? And that might be awkward for some of you, but that's okay. And if you want to say something, you can. Usually when I give people communion, I say the body of Christ broken for you, his blood poured out for you. You don't have to say anything. I think we all understand what it means. Okay? So you'll receive it, and then you'll just trade with the person, and you'll give it to the next person, and just keep the line going. All right? We'll have a very tangible expression of giving and receiving this week. We'll give you some time of silence, and the ushers will dismiss you to come forward. Also, if you're... I have gluten allergies. We have uh, crackers and a separate glass for you. You can just bypass the line. Or maybe today you're going to decide, man, I've got gluten issues. (laughs) I'm going that route. All of a sudden, (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for just what a great example that you gave us in your word today of your ability to humbly receive. Lord, you didn't need to have your feet wiped with perfume and with tears and kissed and that wasn't necessary in terms of your identity or your calling or anything. But Lord, you knew it how important it was to the person that did it to you. And you knew what it meant to her. And so you embraced that awkward moment and even used it as a teachable moment to show the depth of how much forgiveness as she understood that had been extended to her. And so, Father, help us to kind of confront these areas in our life where we look and we see, man, that, that's a hindrance for me, receiving. Sometimes receiving from you and certainly receiving from others or maybe receiving in ways that we like or don't like or want to control how it looks or doesn't look. Help us to be better receivers so we can be better, more genuine, more humble givers too. God, just hear our prayers and I pray that you would just speak to us about some things that we need to look at.